0: Welcome to the Beyond Barriers podcast. When women lead, share performance and profits go up 50%. Results are more powerful when everyone is empowered. This is the insight that brought the four founders of Beyond Barriers together. We came from a diverse set of leadership backgrounds with a common goal to close the gender gap at work and expand economic opportunities for everyone. Tune in each week as one of us interviews inspiring guests who share stories and cutting edge strategies that will help you learn what help them go further faster.
1: Hello, friends. This is Brooke Skinner Ricketts, president and co-founder of Beyond Barriers. I am delighted today to introduce you to my friend, Anna Kelch. Anna and I met a number of years ago when she recruited me on behalf of a private equity firm for a board role. She is absolutely everything she's cracked up to be and is the leader of the global technology practice at SRI. She focuses on serving companies where technology and transformation are critical to business mission. She's an accomplished search consultant with over 25 years of experience, and she has a reputation for recruiting hard-to-find talent for consumer, enterprise, and private equity clients in digital media information services, SaaS, AI, e-commerce, and data and analytics. She is strategic, unbiased, and personally invested in every search focused on delivering best-in-class talent. Clients and candidates value Anna's counsel and view her as a trusted advisor over a search vendor, and I can personally endorse her in that way as well. Before her career in search and as an entrepreneur, Anna served in in sales, marketing, and management roles in publishing, digital media, and educational technology. She's a supporter of children, education, and the fine arts, and she served on the board of the Steppenwolf Theater and Urban Gateways. She's also a veteran in the search world, but she remains committed to finding new ways to make search better, faster, and more fulfilling for both clients and candidates. In this conversation, Anna shares her impeccable insight, both from her perspective um, as a leading woman in her role, but also how she helps others navigate the importance of incorporating diversity, opening up opportunities for women and underrepresented groups, how to tell your story and how to negotiate, how to leverage your relationships and how she's advising her own kids as they head into the job search world. Finally, we have a really lovely conversation about why writing thank you notes matters to us. Anna is absolutely a resource for me, and I hope you'll find that this interview is a resource for you.
2: If we could start with you just introducing yourself um, and just telling us a little bit about your story and maybe lead with a lesson um, that you have learned or that has guided you.
3: Okay. Well, um, I um, I'm in an executive search. I run the global technology practice for SRI, which is a global boutique firm with um, large practices in sport, media and entertainment, consumer. Um, uh, Retail, gaming, embedding, uh, technology. And so, um, I actually ran a business with my partner, Willa Perlman, and we sold that business to SRI last year. So in 2022, and we came over, Will and I, as co-CEOs of North America. And they asked me this year to take on the global technology practice. And I'm like, sure, but what isn't technology because I feel like most companies are either tech companies or becoming tech companies. And, you know, I think it was a great opportunity because we have these wonderful, I have now global partners, you know, I have partners throughout all these different regions who want to collaborate and um, who have great knowledge about the industries they serve. But as the world gets there's a lot more convergence going on and we're seeing talent pulled from different industries. So we're able to work together to really help clients do um, on the right people, whether they're in sitting in sport or entertainment or technology today. So, um, so it's been great. Um, your question about the start So I started in, um media and publishing so and I think like a lot of kids out of college you get out in the world and you just don't know what you don't know and I my first job out of school was with uh, WGN radio, which I thought I had totally made it I was going to be a radio producer which just sounded like the live an end to me at the time and then I realized what they made <laughs> <for a> living <laughs> um the hours they put in some of the talent they've dealt with. And I was looking around and I'm like, what do those people do? And I look, they look much happier and, and they drove much nicer cars, and more better clothes. And they were advertising salespeople. And I'm like, huh, I can do sales. So, um, you know that wasn't something that was discussed at the time nobody was talking about jobs and sales and it had kind of a negative thing but i think sales especially for women great because if you can bring in revenue you're important to your company um so i worked in sales i was the first one of two women to work for a b2b publishing company with over 60 magazines and i was one of two women for that. Um, interesting, the first day that I was there, the manager of the office got a group together at Chicago Athletic Club, which at the time was, you could not bring women in, or you couldn't be a member. And I'll never forget it, Brooke, because I sat down at the table with all these blue suited colleagues, and Um, the hostess came over with a box of candy and said, happy Secretary's Day. (laughs) So, uh, so fortunately, um, I found my sense of humor and I said, well, thank you. I'll give it to my secretary when I get back to the office. So (laughs) I (laughs) won some friends that day, but it did kind of set the pace that, you know, we outnumbered, and it was an interesting thing. And that, you know, even in consumer media, which I moved into uh, later in my career, which did have more women in it, there was still a lot of pressure from that. And um, and it really matters who you work for. So you know, people ask me how I got into search, and I I think it was because of a really bad boss. I was working um, for um, a very large publishing company where women were the primary readers and consumers. And I was running what was then called integrated media. It was like really early data and digital stuff and working with high-end clients and um, both print and in-store buys. And all. it was very interesting work. I worked for a great guy, and then they moved him to run a different division. And I was working for his polar opposite afterwards. And I never forget it. He came up to me and he said, "I need you out on the golf course, and I want you out for drinks every night." And at this time, I was had young babies at home. I had young children at home, and my numbers from from my team we the highest of any of the groups, our revenue numbers, our, you know, the pipeline. It was a healthy business. And I pointed this out to him and he turned to me and he said, I've gotten rid of seven working mothers in the last year. I can get rid of you too. Wow. So I went from this job that I loved to about a week later, I got a call from somebody and they said, Hey, have you ever heard, thought of getting into executive recruitment? And I'm like, I haven't, but I will. So, wow. you know, I think a, a company's culture, who you work for, how you're supported makes a huge difference. Difference in a company's ability to rate you know, to keep talent. And I've never forgotten some of these lessons and it's helped me in my job today. That's so
2: cool. And so, um, I'll just full disclosure. We met because you recruited me for my first board, uh, board role. And then I've worked with you. Um, on a couple of other, other searches. And one of my observations about you, both with SRI and, um, your previous company is that you really look for like values alignment. I mean, that was for me, that was the biggest thing about both the PE firm and the um, company whose whose board I joined. Um, And we had a lot of conversations about that, right? And that that I just, I really appreciated because I think especially when you're thinking about board work, but also when you're thinking about uh, taking a senior role, I'm thinking about the last one that we worked on. Like it was so, it's so important to the teams. It's not just about culture fit, right? It's about, is this somebody who I want to like get in the trenches with who I want to fight alongside fight for, right? Um, right? Do we, you know, are we aligned? And that doesn't mean we have to like agree about everything, but I feel like, we, and, and we've never talked about this, but, um, but I'd love to hear about like, how do you approach that as a recruiter with candidates and then how do you approach it working with the companies that you do?
3: I think the, I don't want to say easiest. I think the most straightforward thing we do is matching skill sets to a job, right? That's Mm -hmm. that's a little bit more black and white. I think, though, what's really important, and it can be scary at senior levels bringing people into an organization, but that ability to... Be successful in that environment, to to work within that culture, to kind of thrive, and and so the way that that we do that, we do we use a lot of different things. Um, one of the things that's at the start of any search, um, our partners do kind of. More deep dive interviews with not just the hiring manager, but as many people in the organization as we are, you know, as we can, because you get a better understanding of the types of people. No, they all, in the most healthy cultures, it's not like it's one person, but there's usually these uniting factors that you can pull out and you understand, okay, that's, That's what this company is about. These are the kind of people who who thrive, even how they communicate, um, values. So, there's a lot that you can get out of these initial interviews that we conduct to really try to understand that. Um, We, um, you know, I think we interview kind of several times to try to get a better understanding of the candidates. I have some amazing uh, associates who do kind of initials to kind of do some preliminary. But partners are usually doing not only a a long interview, but we talk to the candidates throughout. Um, sometimes you want to push a little bit, you know, if there was something at a red flag and know how to circle back to that the other thing, I've done this a really long time now, which has been really helpful, um, is that I can usually sit when I'm talking to a candidate, and I'm usually writing in the margins of my notes who I know at those companies, and I can do some early referencing. Mm-hmm. At senior levels, people should reference really, they should know how to sell themselves for a job, right? So I think it's important to try to get some early referencing done before you are... Presenting a can a client and then the candidate the client falls in love with that candidate. So um, we try to do the early referencing. We also, um, you know, there are different types of interview questions that get more than a kind of what you've done, but how you've done it. And I think that's kind of important. And um, we also, SRI also has other assessment tools like the Hogan and, and things mm-hmm. like that, that we can apply as an additional layer. Uh, and then reference, reference, reference. It's really important. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, I mean, I, when we um, have worked together, diversity has always been a priority, right? And knowing that... Always so many companies are making like real time progress here, right? So what was a cultural fit 10 years ago was maybe different today. And what worked for some references may not be what works for it, right? So like, how do you factor that in? And then how do you approach bringing a diverse slate of candidates? Because so it's such a I mean, you know, obviously, like, if they, if they don't see the candidates, then, you know, there's, yeah. there's no even place to start, but I'd love to hear how you how you approach that.
3: So, you know, I think, Being a woman myself, um, and I can I tell you, I still hate that in twenty twenty three women are considered diverse, but it is the way of the world. You know, we make up a larger part of the population, but yes, (laughs) um, so which I love about Beyond Barriers, because you're gonna change that. Um, in my own small way, I've been trying to change it as well because you know, as a woman in business and then as a woman business owner for a long time, um, Willa and I our placement of women and people of color has been always really high because we've always seen women we've always they're part of our networks it was not something that was like oh that's a novelty that was it was real for us um at SRI it is our job to present a diverse slate of candidates for every shortlist now we don't get to ultimately pick the final candidate. That's the hiring manager's job. But I'm really proud of the fact last year was like 70% of our hires for women or people of color. So they're out there, but it's a very purposeful hiring. Mm -hmm. Um, I think some search firms have a reputation for kind of recycling the same old candidates, um, which are all going to look kind of the same. Um, And also I think it's being willing to fight for it. I mean, not too long ago, I actually had to tell a client, no, no, you really need to meet this person. You need to meet her and it will not be a waste of your time. You have to trust me on this. You need to meet her. And, you know, he called me after the interview. He goes, oh, you are a hundred percent right. So <laughs> I think you do need to have champions. Um, and, um, you know, I'm always happy to do that.
0: Yeah. Excellent, excellent. What if you knew exactly where to focus to go further, faster? Imagine having clarity on your strengths and barriers and the ability to take action and gain unstoppable momentum to deliver results and advance. Take the Beyond Barriers Momentum Metric Quiz to get a personalized report on the 5 Cs, core categories used to measure and accelerate success. Visit gobeyondbarriers.com/quiz to get your report today.
2: I want to pivot a little bit because, you know, we have we have an audience of hiring managers and we have an audience of, you know, prospects. Um, I'd love just to hear about the landscape of what you've seen um, for women in terms of how, like the either the differences that you see or some of the challenges or opportunities that you see for women um, as they go through processes, either working with an executive recruiting firm or, you know, interviewing and, and, and being hired. Like, what are some of the gaps that, I mean, we're obviously addressing a lot of the gaps, right? But but in specific to the process, the, the focus area of yours, um, what are some of the opportunities that you see for women?
3: Um, the good news is I think we're starting to be, this is starting to push past the optics only phase. I think there, there is a look at as long as this person is as high as quality and as good, you know, then I think there is becoming more of a real opportunity. We still have to deal with some misogynistic leaders, but happy to say, I think there is more of an appetite that's real. Um, you know, I always think that one of the challenges has been men can live their lives very linearly, meaning. You can go to school. You can have a relationship. You can start a job. You can start a family. You can get promoted. Anything you can be on that same line, right? Women, I think, have a much more cyclical kind of lifespan, which tends to be usually very rich. It's usually great. A little harder to navigate, and the fact that when women start to have children they physically have children and that means you know carrying a, a pregnancy and every the, how exhausting I have for kids how, you know what that's about and then delivery and post-delivery and getting your body back and trying to you know and you're supposed to stay on to all this stuff um you know, even, you know, moving into when you have young kids at home and the pressures on that, um, women historically face many more than men, even the best men in these relationships. And I think, um, that tends to fall when a lot of career advancement is happening. Mm -hmm. So it is much harder, I think, just for women to navigate just by the laws of nature. Um, the other things, and it, it, it got a little, it'll be interesting to see what happened, happen, Brooke, after, um, you know, all this remote, now hybrid working, if that's going to make it better or not. Mm-hmm, For, mm-hmm. you know, luckily, I didn't have, you had to go through that with your kids when they were all home from school, but... Mm-hmm. <laughs> I thank God I didn't because that would have been a lot to handle, but I do think the flexibility of some of that might be helpful because a lot of jobs that notoriously helped you advance in career. I mentioned sales, um, before, um, requires some travel marketing control, you know, show, you know, so how do you, how do you fit that in? And if you have more flexibility and, and so forth. So, um, it, you know, I think it's interesting times, but I think women have more to navigate. Yeah.
2: Um. So one of the one of the things that we talk to our members about is um introducing yourself and presenting yourself with the unique value proposition. So really focusing not on sort of like what you do, the the role of your job yeah. and the tasks that you do every day, but the unique value that you bring, and that can feel really uncomfortable <laughs> because it feels braggadocious or it feels like I'm you know. Um, even if it's a 100% factually accurate, right? It's just uncomfortable for many women to put themselves out there. Uh, I have a theory that that shows up in negotiation, right? <laughs> um, and and I think it's, you know, my favorite negotiating book is Women Don't Ask. I just think it's a wonderful, wonderful book. But I, I'd love to know what you see there. Um yeah. from can from the candidate side from the company side right and um and what you would encourage our listeners, how you would encourage our listeners to think about negotiation because obviously you're involved in negotiations every day,
3: yeah yeah and and I want to get to negotiation, but to to circle back to what you said earlier, I think that it's very interesting to me how few people know how to tell their story, yeah, and it's really important um I put resumes in front of clients every day. And I can tell you, sometimes there's like a, they, they look at the top line thing and the years you've been employed and your titles and so forth. But what I do for my clients is tell the story, why they're meeting this candidate, kind of encapsulating, this is what they're about. This is why they're in front of you. These are areas I think would bring great values. These are areas I'd like to explore a little bit more, right? That is what clients find the most value to me because they have a hard time doing it. So if you're working with an executive recruiter who's not doing that, or if you're doing it on your own, I think it's really important that you do the work so that when whoever you're doing, cause usually you, you interview with like, Oh, an internal recruiter or HR, and then you might move up. And then you're the- So by the end of that interview, that person, you should be able to spoon feed them. This is what this person's about and why we should look at her. I mean, and you have to do that. They'll have your resume. So don't use the time to recite your resume. Right. You should be able to say, you know, I'm an experienced marketer who worked in this, this and this. I brought growth to what I was doing and I mean so that they can take notes and then they ask, "Hey, should we should we interview that person again?" And I go, "Yes, they're an experienced marketer who's done mm-hmm. this, this and this." And you need to do that because people are so busy. They're using algorithms to look at searches. We're looking for a new EA. And so we put, you know, we're search people, but we don't search at that level. We do senior level. And my wonderful associate said, I'm going to just put an ad on LinkedIn and, and D, see what happens. First t- two days, we had like 3000 applicants. 3000. It was overwhelming to us and it's what we do for a living. Right. <laughs> and and most of them were off they were not the right thing at all. So I don't know if there is just systems putting names out there and just driving mm-hmm. people to these to these postings but this is why we never post jobs. But um it, it just made me realize people who are using that to get talent you gotta figure out how to stand out. And that means you have to tell your story. And it's yeah, it's your value position. And I would go even further, it's your value for that company. Look at what they're yeah. look at what they're looking for. Use their terminology. Not making things up, making it real. Yeah. But know what part of yourself to highlight to make it easier for them to advance you. Because it is that's the clutter from that is very very difficult. So uh, yes, I agree with that. Um negotiation. Um I'm gonna make a couple of really broad generalizations because not all women are bad negotiators. You know, I, I don't want to say that. But there are certain things I've heard over my career that have almost entirely come from women candidates versus male candidates. And it typically is some version of this. Well, I'm really interested in this job. I don't really want to make less money, but I guess I could for the right opportunity. What? <laughs> why Why would you start there? And it just, and it's, I... it's a very, um, I don't, I don't know where that comes from, except I I see it a lot. And um, I usually counsel women through that because I don't believe in it.
2: Yeah. Um, I I thank you for sharing the piece about telling your story. I remember hiring, this was like a junior level hire, and um, I wouldn't have had a deep conversation with this candidate, but that they put on their, resume that they knew how to lasso a steer (laughs) like they had (laughs) grown up in wyoming and i was like that's so like i just wanted to understand like well that's cool like tell me about that tell me about your um i i'd love to hear about like you know we can be so vulnerable. We can be so available. We could be so, you know, we could share so much and there's such a thing as oversharing and there's such a thing as undersharing. Right. Um, and I've often got the feedback that people want more of me. Like they want me to share more about myself because for a long time I was like work, work, work. So I'm, I'm working on that personally, but how do you suggest um, for all of us, right? When we think about building our personal brands, when we think about telling our stories um, integrating the stuff of our lives, when we know sometimes having little kids is more arduous for women. Or sometimes, you know, sometimes there are pieces of my story that I don't want to share. Like, so how do you recommend um, or or what have you seen work in terms of an attractive sharing as opposed to a restrictive sharing?
3: Yeah, it's, it it is really, I think it is really tricky. I think, I think you need to read the room right? I think you can't take a, this is who I am, one approach to everything. Um, I I think it's important that people get a sense of who you are and because um, people do care about that. Employers care about energy. They can't care about presence. They can, they care about, um, you know, if you can, you know, if you can communicate effectively, that's in every job. It's not just in marketing. It's not just in sales. It is everything. Um, I think, um, there are certain, again, I think understanding a company's culture, you know, if it's very, um, you can usually read a lot about what they're about and there's a lot of resources. And I think it's good to understand if it's someplace and then, but I think it's selective. I think it's knowing which parts of yourself. I think it can still be tricky to talk about kids early on. You know, mm-hmm. I don't think anyone should hide it. First of all, companies shouldn't ask you about that. But if, you know, if it comes up, it, it shouldn't be, you know, a problem. People have children. Um, but then, if you have really good childcare, you should work that into the the conversation. You know, I think if you're doing an interview and you have a baby at home, ask someone to, and ask someone to help you out for 45 minutes to an hour, because a baby crying behind you doesn't mean that we don't have all faced that in an emergency call and the baby's crying. But if it's an interview, then I see that as almost a judgment call. Is that mm-hmm. if if your child care felt, then reschedule that meeting or that interview. Right. And and again, it's not that you're not allowed to have children. and they, The children yeah. don't cry, but it's judgment. And I think mm-hmm. companies want you to know, oh, you're very professional and you'll use good judgment. Not that you're mm-hmm. not human. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think there's... You know, I think there's a lot of things. I think that interesting comment things can help. I think um being able to find something to connect with, you know, right. having questions about the company is important and what this is about. Um not, I remember someone saying, I go, you know, do you have questions? And they said, do they offer free dry cleaning? And I'm like, "Yeah, not a a good question. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I I think the point (laughs) about (laughs)
0: judgments
2: are really, I mean, that's just a great way to frame it. I, I will share that. I actually went to an interview for a really exciting role, like four weeks after I had a baby and I, it turned out like I had a, Fever. I was like a, you know, but I was so excited about this role. I was like, yeah, of course I can do it. And, um, I a hundred percent could have scheduled that way later one because I just had a baby, but also, um, because I was like the first candidate they were seeing and I was just anxious to get it going. And also I like to like make things happen. Anyway, I just having had that experience, like it would have been way better. I would have presented better. We would have had a better conversation. Um, I would have felt better, (laughs) you know, all of those things. And I think like, um, so often it can feel so high stakes, right? That you just sort of want to be the, you want to be the yes person. And I think, you know, we work with a lot of our members too on just like kind of people pleasing behaviors. Right. But I think to your point, it's also an asset to have that good judgment, right. And to manage your time and your resources and your availability in a way that ensures that you'll set yourself up for success. So I love, I love the way you frame that. Thank yeah.
3: You. Yeah. And, you know, and I think it's okay. It's professional. People are busy. Yeah. This doesn't work. How with this, and this, it, right. it's just, it is having that confidence that they're not going to say, Nope, that's it. Never again. You know? Right. Right. <laughs> okay. right.
2: right. And if they do, that's a finding too, right? <laughs> it
3: <laughs> is. It is. Yeah. It tells you a lot.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, so one of the things we talk also a lot about leveraging, you know, your community and leveraging your network. And, um, you know, as I mentioned, you and I met quite a long time ago and we've, we've touched base on a lot of different things over the years. Um, we talk about being an investor, not a trader when it comes to relationships, right? Um, uh, right. so, so it's, right. you know, these are not transactional conversations. Um, I'm a big proponent of take every recruiter call, even if you're not in the market, not because like, I want everybody to be on the job hunt all the time, but because I think there's value in having those relationships and often you can Absolutely. like, you know, we've networked on many, many, many roles that, you know, oh, don't yeah. that are maybe in my space, but not for me. Um, I'd love to know like one, how do you, how do you build successful relationships? And then two, what advice do you have for for our listeners in terms of um, you know, what, what, what's worked for you and what, what you
3: think could work better in the world writ large. Yeah. And I think you're smart, Brooke. It's really smart to take, you know, Look at not that if you're going to call every minute, that's annoying, but if there are people you know who trust and, exactly. um, you know, take those calls. I will say CEOs are more likely to take my calls to know what's going on in the world, mm-hmm. um, because we're all busy in our jobs. So if you keep your head down and then all of a sudden you look up and it's 10 years later and you're like, oh, oh okay. So I totally. think having these conversations, be it with Um, executive recruiters or with people within the industry, it helps you, you know, Oh, what are you, what are you looking for in your company and what skill sets are being valued? And, you know, should you be doing some education in a certain area? You know, I do a lot in tech and those skills are changing exponentially. And so it's good to kind of do a check-in even if it's like, no, I'm happier with where I'm at. What Mm -hmm. What a good thing to be able to tell yourself you know, versus, you know, like, oh, I don't even like this job <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> this whole time. So I think that's always a really smart thing to do. Um, you know, networking is, um, and I agree, I love how you say it's not transactional. I think it is really, you know, interesting. It's to meet people who you can hopefully respect, who you can learn from, um I think that it needs to be done spherically. I think mm-hmm. you need to network within your company at as many levels as possible. You know, there are people in these organizations thinking that some of the senior people, don't want to talk to them. And the reality mm-hmm. is senior people should know who the good people are coming up. So that when names are put in front of them for promotion, they go, Oh yeah, I know her. And yeah, that's okay. So it's part of their jobs and you shouldn't see a divide with that. Um, I think also, it's really important to go cross-functionally that you don't have to stay in your own area. Um, I think it's important to understand what's going on in finance and and marketing and sales and tech. And if you can talk to people who are in these different areas, better for you to do your job better, right? You're not just looking at what one piece of the elephant. That was that old study. Um, I think it's also worth we're coming into some interesting times where I'm seeing talent being, um, pulled into different industries, industries that people didn't think they'd end up working with when they started. Mm -hmm. Right. So, um, sport we're seeing they've been pulling people from entertainment for a while and vice versa. And if you are looking at, um, I mean, um, marketing is a really interesting area, right? For some more traditional businesses, um, companies that are further ahead in areas like, what was then digital marketing, which is now just marketing. Um, <laughs> but... Um, you know, audience acquisition and some some of these are really high in different areas, and you can, you can, you know, the long as they can adjust to the culture, we're mm-hmm. seeing more of this, which gives you more career opportunities. So I think networking outside your company is important. I think, um, i you know, I have, um, my kids now are now in their 20s, and I've encouraged them to, um, look at nonprofits. A lot of them a lot of the nonprofits, the museums, things have have junior boards that do mm-hmm. a lot of good things, right? And um Urban Gateways is one. I was on there. That's a arts education nonprofit in Chicago. And they have a great young, you know, young person board. Steppenwolf Theater has one. The museums have them. And you know, they're they're usually social, they're usually fun uh mm-hmm. kind of things. Um companies often support their people doing this kind of philanthropic work within their communities. And you'll meet people outside your traditional sphere. Mm-hmm. Um I think alumni associations to get to, to use some of that. Um and but I, I do think that the networking piece is important. Something came up, I'll have to ask your opinion about it this week. So this gets back into internal networking. Um, I put together a football pool. I work in the company. We do a lot in the sports industry. And all my my, um, colleagues in the UK and in Europe, big into sports, and they have their own thing. And I'm like, hey, North America wants it in the action. So we put one together around the NFL. And I made it really, really, really simple, right? We're not picking teams. We're not doing point spreads it's it's really for fun it's just Mm -hmm. pick a team and then we're doing different fun things around it and this week i had to reach out to some of the younger women on the team we're like i don't follow football and they're like they're not going to do it and i'm like i don't think that's why we're doing it so i mean do you think it's important to participate in things like that
2: yeah, it's an interesting one because we, we've had that question from companies, like, are there, uh, you know, I think there are like some things, like, make sure there are non-alcoholic options that company get, right? Like, like oh. you know, they're, they're totally, and, and sports is, sports can be a lightning rod because it's been so traditionally male, right? Um, that we've seen some people just say, no, not interested. But I think, yeah, I think you're like when, when you think about it as a participation, as an opportunity, you know, to sort of get, get closer. I mean, I, I can share like just the one, <laughs> I had an experience of speaking on a panel where as I walked out, they handed me a, like a gift bag with a men's large golf shirt in it. And I was like, Oh, <laughs> like yeah. one. I'm two, I'm not a man, three, like it just made, and by the way, I was like one of the only women in that room, it was, you know, it was, So I sent them a note, and I just said, look, like, this just makes me feel like this is not a room for me, like this room is, and they were like, you know, they're super apologetic, I like think it was extra swag, we were trying to, whatever, whatever the reasons are, I think um, if, if there's a, I think if you're trying to create unity around an activity, you know, yeah. it, it, I think there there's some some upfront questioning just about, is it going to do it? I, but I think it's worth having that conversation with those employees, you know, and yeah. just understanding.
3: Well, and to be fair, I'm doing one on the Tonys and I'm doing one. on the yeah, Awards so, right. And right. we're, you know, but it's, you know, it is an interesting thing, and I think generationally, it's been a shift. I mean, I I'm learned to golf because I hated that I was left out of so many things. Um, a f- good friend of mine drinks scotch to this day because she didn't want. She was in this group; they all the men are drinking scotch, and they said, "Oh, you want a glass of white wine?" And she's like, "No, I drink scotch." And she said, "I learned right. to drink scotch." I don't think people have to do that today. Yeah, but yeah. but I do think opportunities to connect that and and you're right i think that, look and i think that there's a lot of reasons that companies are walking back from a lot of the happy hour party mm-hmm. things because it's dangerous it's dangerous for women on lots of levels yeah. i always suggest to women that they should always have an event after like like a 2 hours like yeah, go, that's go to the parties go to the thing but you know, because people get a little too comfortable, things happen. It, it's dangerous. Yeah. So, yeah. no, these are important things to think of. And it's also not feeling excluded. I think if it was only sport, then that would be something. Yeah. But uh, it, it is, it's, it's an interesting thing um, that I think we're still wrestling with. I, yeah, I think so too. And I think the important thing is
2: for like each individual to evaluate each opportunity, right? <laughs> and like, is this an opportunity for me to connect with someone I want to connect with? And even if I just like think football is vapid and ridiculous, if the person who's going to help me get to the next level, who I, I want to be my sponsor, right? Is right. engaged in this. What if I looked at this as, can I spend some time with that person by saying, I don't know anything about fantasy football and I want your help. Right. And yeah. so like that's a warm in entree, as opposed to saying, um, I definitely don't want anything to do with it. And I think I think part of the muscle generationally is part of the shift is like I think for many of us who grew up during a time where there were few fewer, even fewer women at the table, right? You were just kind of constantly on the lookout, like how can I navigate yeah. my way there? Um, and so I think there's part of there's like a scrappiness to that and thinking about how do you frame this. On the other hand, you know, if I'm not a drinker, I'm not going to a bar for a, or for an event. You know what I mean? So, yeah. so I think we each have to have our own limits. But I think your yes. your counsel in terms of thinking about like how can I look at this as an opportunity is also really important for people to consider. And if it's just something that's just like, P.U., I can't can't handle it," then like that's your decision, right? Totally. Um,
3: and then yeah, think it's about an another way. Yeah. Ethical or moral decision. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. You know, and I think it's. You know. One of the things that I think is better, I mean, I've been working on a really long time. Um, When I was coming up in my career, more of the women were um, more territorial, the ones that had made it because they did not want to help who was coming next and give them a hand and develop that because there was one of us, there was, we have one of those, that's all we need. Right. We, we, we had that. And so there was more internal competition among women. Mm -hmm. I do think that's gotten better. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know, maybe it's just with some of my colleagues. I mean, one of the reasons that Will and I wanted to move to SRI was there was a lot of really great young people that we wanted to develop and help develop their talent. So I I think we're seeing more of that, although Mm -hmm. women should look at not only more senior women as mentors, but they should look at men because some of my best champions have been men
2: yeah no same here and we talk about that a lot in terms of and especially i mean for people with many intersections like it's very unlikely that you're going to find someone who's exactly like you who's going to sort of take you under their wing just because you know the more diverse we get the the fewer of us there are um so i i think that's really important and then i also think just um you know that that one of the gaps that we observe is like navigational skills right like i've never been in this environment i don't understand these codes. I don't understand this technology. You know, there, there's just a, um, that's one of the reason that reasons that women and people of color feel like they're working twice as hard to go half as far. Right. Because it's just like, we, there's, there's, th- there's investment time that needs to be spent on, well, I don't know, do I golf? Right. <laughs> and like your friend, she probably spent some time like learning to like scotch before she, yeah. right. But that was time that maybe someone who had grown up drinking scotch wouldn't have had to spend and was spending doing other things. Right. And so how do we, create environments where we can welcome sort of a multitude of different um, experiences. Right. Yes. Um, and, and really value people for what they bring to the table. I think that like that, that's the question. Um, right. And, and I think you're right. We're, we're all a work in progress there. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, okay. So I, I have actually talked to a couple of your, ki- I've talked to, yeah, two of your kids in their job searches. Um, I'd love to Thank know you for what, that. Yeah, no, my pleasure. <laughs> They're wonderful, like you. But um, what what did you tell them when they went out to go attack the, And I know, like there was COVID, there were lots of different things for for um yeah. each of them. But uh, like what what do you, what advice do you give your kids when on the job search?
3: Um, well, I I actually think it's really important to um, and it's probably starting before that, right? I, I've talked to a lot of kids of clients and, um, and friends, you know, who, you know, got, you know, my advice is typically read everything you can talk to everybody. You can ask them what they do, keep mm-hmm. learning. Um, I, I think it's having good follow-up. Um, I think a job hunt. We live with so many tools and it's very easy to just push out hundred resumes or a hundred emails. But the more connection you can make, you're going to have so much more progress and it's going to serve everybody better. So, um, you know, a hundred emails probably worth, you know, 10 good phone calls and probably one good meeting. You know, I think, I think there's a little, not with my kids, my kids will talk to anybody, but um, (laughs) I think they're generationally, generationally it's like, you know, the big joke. If you want to turn a millennial off, you call them, you know, you so I, I think it's kind of getting out of your comfort zone and being Mm. able to have these conversations and talk to people and, and to follow up, send a thank you note. Very few people do this now. It's a very odd thing. Very few people, even at the levels that I work. Like, Do you mean handwritten screens. or like nope. just an email? Nope, really? No. Right broke. Right? an wow. email is totally fine. A text would do, Nothing. I'd say 10%. I'm huh. really shocked. I mean, I remember, I mean, back in the day, and I remember these, I remember people, but I helped get jobs and they actually sent me flowers, you know? Yeah. I remember them, but I'm really happy with thank you notes. And it doesn't right. have to be the old kind where you had stationery and a stamp and you had to send it out. Yeah. And email. people don't do it.
2: Yeah. You know, I had another podcast conversation. We talked to I, cause I was, um, I have like childhood guilt about handwritten thank you notes. Like I have to, <laughs> it's like a compulsion for me because it was so prioritize but um but i think actually a handwritten note is something that can really differentiate you not oh, because okay. you're old-fashioned or whatever but because like it just signals like you took the time it mattered to you and obviously email is great but sometimes even i'll send an email saying like proper thank you note to thought like kind of as a joke um because i can't help myself with the handwritten because you know but um but i actually I think raised
3: very well brooke <laughs>
2: <laughs> I don't know about that. I just, was that was a compulsion. But I think thinking about, I mean, I think this is such a big part of what we're talking about in terms of communicating your value and telling your story, right? Thinking about different ways, like if you're seeing 3,000 resumes for your EA, right? What is going to make any one of those people stand out to you, right? Knowing that right. you're in And so if it is a handwritten note, if it is flowers, if it is like a text, like what, what do you think it is? But that also takes investment on. The job seekers end right to understand kind of what matters to you, right? Yeah. Um, or or take those and and maybe it won't pay off. Maybe it will, but it's a risk worth taking um in terms of the way that you're defining yourself so um yeah. so I'm not encouraging everybody to write handwritten things you know so but, but I am encouraging
3: I'm not saying that either but I do think you're right it's a you know I read somewhere that Princess Diana before she went to all these events she went to she would have uh note cards and envelopes pre- the pre-written on her desk so in the morning she could send a handwritten note which would probably carry a ton of weight from her, right? I mean, but but even still, I, I thought, okay, that's that's really interesting. But um, you know, I do think, but this gets back to what you we were saying earlier about telling your story because it's another opportunity, right? To say, I mean, especially if it's a job or something where you're saying, you know, thank you so much for your time. And I enjoyed our conversation about xyz this is an area i'm really interested in developing and i'm um i hope i can do it with your company or something um it gives you another chance in a nice way and not like um but people need to do their homework Mm -hmm. i get a lot of unsolicited resumes and you know and the the big knock against executive recruiters is like oh i send these things out and i never hear from them but i will tell you i'll get things from heavy manufacturing. And I'm like, did you even look at the website? My bio tells you what I recruit in, right? So you're feeling, "Oh my god, I'm sending all these things out to recruiters. You're sending them to the wrong people. Do mm-hmm. do your homework, look at their LinkedIn's, look at their websites. Is this a person that you should try to approach and what should you be saying that shows, "Hey, Hey, I I work in this area. I know you work in this area. Can we talk? Yeah, I get a lot of stuff that is clearly one sided, one side fits all kind of, and it uh-huh. just goes into the jump.
2: Yeah, totally, totally.
3: That actually one reason I like
2: email follow ups is because I can link. Like, have you have you read this or have you listened to this podcast based on the conversation that we had? Yeah. So it's a, that's an opportunity. Like, you can actually offer some value, right? Whether or not it goes the way that you want it to you can offer some value so um yeah i think that that's really good advice thank you um
3: <laughs> all right I my to- kids my kids never thank me for my advice so you're welcome okay so i'm there. <laughs>
2: I'll, I'll i'll send them all emails and say hey you should really <laughs> thank your mom we're uh as you know we have three kids who are not in the not in the gratitude phase of life so <laughs> we really have to thank each other. Um, okay, I'm going to do our lightning round. Questions: Is there anything else that you would like to share or say that we didn't cover?
3: Um, no, I don't. I don't think so. I was just trying to. You know, I think. Um, You know, the only thing I will say is I'm a huge supporter of Beyond Barriers. I think the work you're doing is so important, and I am so excited to help in any way I can. I, Thank you. I believe in it. Thank you. We, we believe in the work you're doing, too. And I,
2: I've seen the results, so... Um, And I'm part of the result, so thank you. Uh, well, we you're welcome, together. and yeah,
3: no, and and your kids will also be very thankful too. I will say, my daughter, recent now she's in her twenties now, and she's like, you know, she's thinking I'm much smarter than I used to be. So <laughs> it, it'll, it'll someday. work out. someday. <laughs>
2: um, okay, so can you tell me about a book that has greatly influenced you?
3: Oh, books. Um, The book I have been referring to the most is lately is Radical Candor by Kim Mm. Scott. Have you read that one? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's really about the importance of timely criticism, but also praise, which I think sometimes managers lose in the whole thing. The other thing, and this is across the board, this isn't just women, this is men as well. I've seen this where they don't get on things soon enough. And you, mm-hmm. um, So radical candor is about identifying things early, good and bad. And if there's something as a manager that you've identified, you say, Hey, I've noticed this, you know, you need to address this and we need to work on that and make that better. Then if it continues, you escalate it up a little bit and said, Hey, we talked about this. What are you doing? Do you need help with some strategies? This has to be addressed. Mm-hmm. And then if not, you, you know, they're on you know if you have to fire somebody you're not faced with this but you never told me and i had no idea i had perfectly good evaluations which often happens right Mm -hmm. so i it's not brutal honesty but it is honesty and it is candor and i think that the best managers i have have that skill yeah excellent um
2: do you have a favorite inspiring quote or say um i
3: do i think um i have many i i i asked my one friend that i've known my whole life i go is there a quote i say a lot and she goes you like the gloria Steinem one about you know fred astaire did and ginger rogers did everything fred astaire did but backwards and high heels but the one that i've been going to more lately is from maya angelou And it's do the best you can until you know better. And then when you know better, do better. I love that quote. And I think that applies to a lot of things, especially in our changing ecosystems. And as people learn what experiences people are going through who might be different than you, Mm -hmm. do better.
2: Yeah, I love that. That's great. what is one word or moniker that you would use to describe yourself?
3: My boss calls me
2: a connector.
3: So I think that's a good word connector.
2: Excellent. I love it. Um, And what's one change or habit that you implemented that made your life
3: better? I stopped saying sorry so much. I think like a lot of women, I was raised to be a pleaser and, you know, and, you know, sorry, but I don't understand it. And I've learned to stop saying sorry. Now, it does not mean I won't apologize. I will readily apologize when I'm wrong. And that happens all the time. But the sorries as a gap filler, get rid of those. They're, they don't serve you. Love it. Um, and then what was your power song uh,
2: to walk up on stage?
3: Brooke. I would say probably anything from Bruce Springsteen. Awesome. <laughs> um <laughs> Uh, how a girl is on fire yeah, good. Word. I love
2: that song excellent well thank you so much this has been such a treat um, it's always good to talk to you but it's been great to, to have this conversation I really appreciate your taking the time
3: oh, thanks for having me Brooke I really enjoyed talking to you as always likewise
0: Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Beyond Barriers podcast. There are thousands of podcasts out there and we are so grateful that you've chosen to listen to ours. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a rating and tell a friend or share what you've learned on LinkedIn and tag us. We love hearing from our audience. Visit us at gobeyondbarriers.com where you can subscribe and find show notes, links, and the best way to connect with our guests.